Happy 50th anniversary. Anniversary. Yes. Happy 50th episode to us. We're 70 years old, Chris. We're 70 years old. Welcome to Hidden Among Us. I'm your host, Chris. And this is Honda. And welcome to episode 50, the big 5-0. Oh. <laughs> um, to celebrate, I'm drinking Coke from the BTS meal. Are you going to wash it and then like keep the cup? Oh my god, I'm, I'm going to turn it into like the bikini you send in the group chat. It's O'Shea that sent it. Oh, shines and it was gross. Yeah. Anyway, um, the BTS meal is kind of interesting. Like the two sauces, because they give like a kahun spice sauce and a sweet chili sauce. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why both kind of give me the the vibes of expired milk. Ew. You know that that like souriness. Yeah, I don't know why. Did you keep the, t- the sauce tabs? I did not. <laughs> what am I going to do with the sauce tabs? Because it has the packaging on it. But it... Mm, anyway, but the nuggets were good. As as they are. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> the normal nuggets, right? <laughs> yep, the normal nuggets. Um, I feel like every time I tell people how I eat nuggets, they think oh I'm a God. psychopath. Because you are. Because I eat nuggets by like, I peel back the fried layer. <laughs> and then there's like this soft, mushy layer that I will like remove with my teeth. And then I'll just eat the chicken meat after. <laughs> you try sometime. It's really good. It's satisfying. Are you going to keep the cup? No, I don't think I'm going to keep the cup. Really? Maybe I should like recycle it, right? <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with the cup. Okay, God. I think I'll recycle it. I Context. might. Chris is a BTS fan and she's like, what am I going to do with the cup? And then there's like BTS fans out there who's like crazy over like the packaging. <laughs> I know, but it's just, to me, it's like, what am I going to do with this cup? <laughs> Right, like what, everything what has to be do? practical for Chris. <laughs> I okay. I feel like as I get older, I'm thinking more about the practicality of things. So hence why I didn't keep the nuggets box or the the saucers the the tab on it or whatever. Like, what am I gonna do with it? Maybe okay. Maybe I'll keep the cup and like I don't know, use it as a toy for Leo or something. God. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Or maybe I'll like stick pens in it. Like you're saying. It's cup. a huge cup, by the way. Like the large size is bigger than my face. Do you see this? A lot of things are bigger than your face. I know, but this is this is like not this is literally beside my face and it's like larger than my face. Look at that. Look at that. It's huge. Honda just lifted her Starbucks cup up to her face. <laughs> but you see. Honda has a regular sized face, like a regular size. That means size this is head. huge. <laughs> yeah, and her cup is huge. I have a less than normal sized head, so things tend to be much larger than my head in general. 
710 milliliters. Isn't that like... That's a lot. It's almost one liter. This is like... For Starbucks size, is Trenta, which is not available oh, in Singapore. Yeah, it's not available in Singapore. That's like Where US is size. it available though? Obviously in the US. I mean, Everything is like big US. size. <laughs> I don't I, know. I, I, I remember when I was younger, like, one of the first documentaries I ever watched was Super Size Me. <laughs> yeah. And I remember being so scarred by it because, like, this dude was eating McDonald's every single day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I remember there was this one scene where, like, I think he just couldn't take it anymore. So oh I think he was eating it in his car and he had to throw up because it was just too much. His arteries, though. So. <laughs> yeah, no. Cute. I mean... The guy who's doing it was being supervised by medical professionals the whole time. Like, and... Uh, doesn't it, oh, yeah, I think if I'm not wrong, after that documentary, like, the extra large sizes was removed off the McDonald's menu in the US. <laughs> yeah, because it was just like, what the shit? Because the extra large sizes were, like, huge. Hmm. Uh, I thought the meal sizes are huge. Then when I see people go there... Like the pizza sizes and everything. <gasps> yeah, those are larger than my head. Everything's larger than your head. Anyway, um, <laughs> Honda, I think we can... Wow, this is a terrible transition. Talking about large food sizes to a story. And, yeah, I'm just like, eh, okay. Insert transition here. Anyway, um, I think... There's no way to transition into this. <laughs> I'm trying very hard. Just, okay, everyone, just forget everything you heard about the transition thing. So, Honda, are you ready for a story today? I'm just going to go with it because there's no way to transition into this. Sure, I'm excited for your seven-page long story. Yes, okay. So, um, I'm going to delve into the story a bit earlier so that... um. This episode isn't like super long because it's seven pages long and it has very interesting, gruesome details. And yeah, I think it's just such a cool story for our 50th episode. And I also hyped it up to Honda. I was like, Honda, you're going to love like a part of the story. So Mm. I'm just going to delve into it. So Honda... Have you ever heard about the vampire of Sacramento? It actually sounds kind of familiar. But I don't know. I don't remember the details. Okay. So the vampire of Sacramento is actually Richard Chase. Uh Uh-huh. So this story, we will see about the chase to catch him. I'm not gonna like acknowledge what you say. <laughs> acknowledge my jokes. I'm hilarious. Okay. Even Shen wouldn't laugh. Stop. I'm hilarious. Okay. Anyway, so for this story, um, I'd like to thank Murderpedia, CrimeMuseum.org, and Talk Mur- TalkMurderWithMe.com for most of the information, because uh, Wikipedia surprisingly barely has any like. Yeah, sometimes it does Details. That. <laughs> yeah, Wiki is interesting because some cases, right, they have all the details, like timelines, everything, every minute detail of the crime. And then for other cases, it's like 
and then he was sentenced to 23 years in prison <laughs> full stop and i'm like okay that's it mm-hmm. so these three sites were my main sources for research and like talkmurderwithme.com like introduced such an interesting part and i was like holy shit honda's going to love this hmm. and i hope everyone else loves it too so we'll get to it soon so i'm just going to jump right into the story so we shall start right from the beginning when richard chase was a young boy so richard chase was born on 23rd may 1970 in sacramento california by the age of 10 he had begun to display disturbing behaviors such as setting fires mm-hmm. wetting his bed and even torturing animals mm-hmm. yes So this display of sociopathy is actually called the McDonald triad which I didn't know McDonald triad okay. Yeah it's called the McDonald triad I didn't know it was called that I was like oh yeah so well okay so he's on displaying like the McDonald triad signs His home life was questionable so his father was a man who was he was one of those people who believed very strongly in discipline Mhm okay. and he also would constantly argue with his wife so it was a very unstable home um on top of that richard also had a younger sister by 4 years i don't know why i phrased it that way it was like <laughs> on top of all the problems at home he had a younger sister <laughs> your sister is going to be so offended you phrased it that way richard had a younger sister and his home life was not the best yeah there's some sources that also say that the father was abusive as well Mm-hmm. Um yeah so in his later life uh Richard would sorry I just missed the whole point so in Richard's teen years he would drink do drugs and get into trouble but he would never show any sign of of remorse for his actions and then in his later life Richard would continue to disappoint to display some questionable behaviors um and these behaviors were a result of hypochondria so hypochondria is essentially uh, a mental illness or an anxiety disorder where the sufferer believes that they are very ill or they are at risk of becoming very ill mm-hmm. yeah so It's one of those things where a person becomes very, very paranoid that they are sick, even okay. if, and mo- okay, they become they become paranoid that they are sick when they're really not. Okay. Yes. So, um, one of Richard's girlfriends had actually expressed that he was unable to maintain an erection. So Richard was like, "Holy shit! How can I, a man, not have an <laughs> erection?" So he went to a hospital in in hopes to figure out what was wrong with him medically. Instead, he was told that his inability to perform sexually was due to repressed anger by a psychiatrist. Huh. <laughs> I mean, it kind of makes sense though. Repressed anger. Yeah. It's it's like a psychological thing. You know how they okay. say like mind over matter? Uh-huh. Yeah, so I think those internal issues were preventing him from, mm-hmm. you know, performing in bed. Okay. Now, 
this psychiatrist who told him that he couldn't perform because of repressed anger also believed that Richard could have been suffering from another major mental illness. But at that time, he was like, okay, you can leave. So he didn't hospitalize him. Mm. Eventually, Richard would leave his mother's home because he believed that she was attempting to poison him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, he eventually moved into an apartment that he rented with several friends. However, his bizarre behavior continued. So he would constantly smoke pot, he would drink, he would do LSD. He would also walk around the apartment naked even when his friends had guests over. Mm. Eventually, the friends were like, all right, dude, we can't handle this like (laughs) walking around naked anymore thing. We need you to move out. Mm. And Richard refused. So his friends were like, okay, if you don't want to move out, we'll move out. (laughs) So that's what they did. They moved out instead. Mm-hmm. So Richard would also claim that someone had stolen his pulmonary artery and that his heart would stop beating. Oh. He would also claim that his blood was turning to dust. Mm-hmm. Richard would squeeze oranges above his head so that the vitamin C could diffuse into his brain. And he also believed that his cranial bones were separating. And he even shaved his head so that he could observe and monitor it. And this reminds me of something. <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> okay, 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 okay. We can discuss it later. I'll bring it up later, okay? Remind me that I will bring something up later. Okay. Okay, thank you. So, uh, Richard was 180 centimeters tall, but he only weighed 65 kilograms. Dang. So he was incredibly scrawny and essentially severely underweight. Mm -hmm. So now that his roommates had all literally up and left, he was all by himself. So Richard would either catch or buy rabbits and kill and disembowel them. Uh Mm -hmm. he would also eat their innards raw Mm, okay I feel like the next part is the most disgusting thing Honda brace yourself (laughs) okay also I just realized I'm okay never mind sometimes he would mix the intestines and blood of the animal with coke in a blender and drink it I'm literally drinking coke right now (laughs) In my BTS meal cup. (laughs) Raw coke. (laughs) Oh God, no thank you. So Richard actually did this because he believed that his heart was shrinking and that it would eventually disappear from his body. Interesting. Yes. He also once injected rabbit blood into his own veins and because of that he suffered from blood poisoning. As you would if you injected some random animal's blood into your own bloodstream. Okay. Um, but even <laughs> Honda, I feel like you're gonna be saying you for this whole story. <laughs> but even then, he believed that him falling sick was actually because the rabbit had consumed battery acid, and that's what made him sick. Okay. 
By the way, as somebody who is a bun parent, a bun mom, rabbits literally would not go anywhere near battery acid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they're not like dogs and cats who would like go up to it and be like, hmm, what's this? And then give it a little lick. Like rabbits literally won't. They would stay like 10 miles away from it. Dogs will like put anything in their mouth. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, yeah. Sorry to dogs all out. Sorry to all the dogs out there and to dog yes. owners like dogs are listening to this podcast and then they're yeah, dogs are... our main target audience is dogs. This podcast is just for dogs. <laughs> anyway, after this incident of injecting rabbit blood into his veins, thankfully, Richard Chase was committed to a psychiatric facility in 1976. And this is where he was diagnosed as a schizophrenic suffering from uh, delusion. So he had paranoid schizophrenia. He was given antipsychotic medication, which, by the way, did not work on him. And because of this, um, it suggested to the doctors that his psychosis was not a result of like a pre-existing mental illness, but was a result of his drug abuse. Hmm. Yeah, because he was um he was actually abusing drugs all through his like teen years. Mm-hmm. Mm. The same year, nineteen seventy six he actually managed to escape the facility and went to his mother's house, but he was returned. And this is where he earned the name Dracula because his odd behavior continued. So he would often talk about killing rabbits and one day he was found with blood all over his mouth. And on his windowsill, there were two birds, two dead birds, uh, which had their necks broken yeah one of the nurses found it like can you imagine doing a round and then you <laughs> see this guy like facing the window and you're like hey Mr. Chase I need to check on you and then he turns around and it's just like blood everywhere uh, I hope she got a raise where did he even get them <laughs> Um, most likely they had like flown in through the wow. windows yeah, I highly doubt he would be able to buy birds while in a psychiatric facility. <laughs> yeah. So later that year in 1976, after numerous treatments and medication, he was eventually deemed fit enough to be discharged from the facility. So after this, his mother took care of him. Um, so she would pay his rent. She would do all the shopping for him. Um, his parents actually had conservatorship over him so they were his legal guardians um, but even with all this he was often left unsupervised even though he was on medication and eventually his mother was like you know I think you're fine so she <laughs> weaned him off his medication uh-huh. which is um, I think the number one thing you should never do unless your doctor tells you that you can wean off medication mm-hmm yeah, I, mean, I don't know. She, she's not a professional. A medical she's not a professional. professional. But I, I feel, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, she, she may believe it was a mother's intuition, or she saw that he was getting better. Because oftentimes people make the mistake of weaning off medication because they do get better. Because the the reason why they're better is because they are on medication. Yeah. 
And she could be yeah. biased as well. You know? Yeah, she, she could have been biased as well. Um, He eventually moved into his own apartment and uh, the cycle began again. So he began to torture and kill dogs, cats and rabbits and then he would drink their blood. He would also steal neighborhood pets and began to practice with guns. There was also um a thing where apparently he he killed a neighbor's dogs and like a, a neighbor's dog and like sent taunting messages back to the neighbor. Mm. Mm. A year later in 1977, the guardianship by his parents expired because they had previously signed conservatorship of him. But his parents were like, okay, thank you. And then they chose not to renew it. (laughs) One day, when Richard's mother came to visit him, she found him holding a dead cat. When Mm -hmm. he saw her, he literally threw the cat on the ground. He tore it open and he began to smear its blood all over his face and neck. Okay. So, Honda, do you want to make a wild guess what his mother did? You have two options. Option one, she screamed and called for help. For help. 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 <laughs> she screamed and called for help. For help. Option two, she was like, I, I'm a hit up and did absolutely nothing. Option two. Yep, she did nothing. Of course. How would you react though if you saw your son do something like this? I'll be like, okay, thank you, bye. And then I will probably call the police. Yeah, same. Yeah, but she was like, okay, <laughs> I saw nothing. I didn't see anything. That's not my son. <laughs> That's not my son. <laughs> That's not my son. That's not my cat. This is not my problem. I'm going back home. <laughs> Anyway, so on August 3rd, 1977, so the very same year where, like, the mother saw him literally, like, smearing cat blood all over himself, <laughs> uh, police officers found Richard Chase's car, which was a Ford Ranchero. Ford <laughs> Ranchero. Anyway, so they found it stuck in sand near Pyramid Lake in Nevada. When they went closer to it, they saw two rifles on a seat with men's clothes. They also found blood smears and a bucket filled with blood and a liver. They eventually spotted a naked and blood-soaked Richard Chase. And when they apprehended him, he claimed that the blood was his because it had seeped out of him. The liver turned out to be from a cow. (sighs) Okay. Yeah, at this point, also the police were like, I... I saw nothing. Have a nice day, <laughs> sir. So like nothing, nothing came off the incident. Uh, Richard also developed a fascination with the hillside strangler who uh-huh. was operating at that time. So he would uh like read newspaper articles about the hillside strangler like ex- like avidly. So I'm going to move on to his crime spree. Honda, are you ready? Sure. I feel like nothing truly can ready somebody for this. Oof. So on December 29th, 1977, Ambrose Griffin, a 51-year-old engineer, was helping his wife bring in the groceries. He then yelled at something or someone before suddenly dropping to the ground with the sound of popping. He'd been shot with a .22 caliber gun. Mm. 
So even with an eyewitness who claimed to have seen a 20-something-year-old man with brown hair, the police could not identify the shooter. And this is how Richard Chase got away with his first murder. Hmm. Okay. Four weeks later, he would strike again. Interestingly, and much like a vampire, Richard Chase would pick victims based off their front doors. So, if their doors were locked, he did not attack them and instead believed that he was not welcome. He also <laughs> never broke into anyone's homes. Hmm, I found this so interesting because you know how in vampire law, um, like proper vampire law and not like <laughs> friggin' Twilight or whatever that's being spun today. Uh, vampires have to be invited into the home. Uh, okay. Yeah, so th- this was essentially what happened. Like he, if the door was unlocked, he was like, okay, I'm welcome in here so I can go into the house. So that's how he picked his victims, essentially. So on January 23rd, 1978, he entered the home of Teresa Wallen. Teresa was three months pregnant and had been on her way out to throw her trash when she bumped into Richard. So Richard had come in as she was going out to throw her oh. trash. Um, he shot her three times with the same gun he used to kill Ambrose Griffin. Then he stabbed her with a butcher knife. Oh, no. He carved out her left nipple and pulled out her intestines and spleen. He stabbed her in the liver, lungs, and diaphragm, cut out her kidneys, and then placed them back into her body and slit her pancreas into two. Richard then smeared Teresa's blood all over his face and hands and licked it off his fingers. Now, he also stuffed animal feces into her mouth. Okay. So Teresa had a German shepherd. Uh That's where he got the feces. And it's just so sad because when her husband got home, he saw the German Shepherd and he was just waiting for him and he he felt like something was off because like, where was his wife? And then he stumbled onto the scene. Uh, horrible scene. Can't even imagine. It's a horrible scene. Especially because one, your pregnant wife and she was mutilated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Honda, I think this is a part that you're going to become so like happy and geeky. But anyway. Oh no. Okay, are you ready? I feel so excited to tell you this. I don't know why. I don't know. I feel so excited. Okay, so after seeing the gruesome crime scene, the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit was called in to investigate. Uh huh. So, FBI agent Robert Ressler. A.K.A. Bill Tench from Mindhunter, <laughs> A.K.A. the best character in the show. Oh my god! Examined the Teresa Wallen crime scene and he came up with a profile. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read the profile now. Okay, so this is the profile he came up with: white male, aged 25 to 27 years, thin, undernourished appearance. Residents will be extremely slovenly and unkempt, and evidence of the crime will be found at the residence. History of mental illness and will have been in use of drugs. 
will be a loner who does not associate with either males or females and will probably spend a great deal of time in his own home where he lives alone. Unemployed, possibly received some form of disability money. If residing with anyone, it would be with his parents. However, this is unlikely. No prior military record, high school or college dropout. Probably suffering from one or more forms of paranoid, paranoid psychosis. Why is this profile so accurate? <laughs> I know. My next point is, he is so cool. Actually, I find it kind of crazy how profilers, like, I know I know shows like Criminal Minds do this thing, and it's like, how were you so accurate? But, like, actual profilers do the same thing, and how do they get it so spot on? Mm-hmm. Like, to the point where it's like, they know the age they they know exactly like how this person would possibly appear. Like how would you know that this person is undernourished? Yeah, like scrawny and yeah, tall. how would you know? Right? I mean other things like for example, unemployed, like you can kind of guess that. Um like living by themselves, you can kind of guess that. Um like race, I guess with the crime scene or whatever you can guess it but like specific details like the age and like how they look it's just how so i i always wonder like if like i don't know an elderly person were to like be a serial killer then how are you going to identify that age group right by what i feel (laughs) like you can sort of like make guesses um when you look at the crime scene or like the tools because like for example elderly people cannot I guess, lift super heavy things and stuff like that. So from there, you can make it. But like to guess like a specific age group, like can you imagine like, oh, 65 to 72 or whatever, like how? It's crazy. Anyway, profilers are so cool. So cool. Anyway, so this part, I was geeking out to myself. (laughs) Richard was classified as a disorganized offender. Why were you geeking out? Because in Mindhunter, remember they had the whole thing about organized mm-hmm. versus disorganized okay. um, like killers. Uh-huh. So, um, see Honda, I actually watched the show. See, aren't you glad you watched now? <laughs> so that we can like, so that I can like geek out about it. Okay, never mind. I still don't really like the show. But anyway, moving on, moving on, moving on. So um, an organized offender. Okay. So the behavior science unit essentially categorizes these killers and offenders into two categories. One, um, one is called organized killers and the other one is disorganized. So organized killers, um, it refers to those who tend to be very methodical in their planning of their murder. So they know what they're doing and they plan it beforehand. Whereas just organized killers, they don't plan beforehand and they tend to be mentally ill. Mm-hmm. So um, Richard Chase falls to the latter category. So he's a disorganized killer. So four days later, on January 27th, 38-year-old Evelyn Myroth was babysitting her nearly two-year-old nephew 
when her 51-year-old friend, Dan Meredith, came over. Evelyn was about to send her six-year-old son, Jason, to her friend's house. Okay, so this uh, paragraph is a bit confusing, so I will break it down for you, okay? So, person one, Evelyn Myroth. She was actually babysitting her, if I'm not wrong, her sister-in-law's child. Mm -hmm. So the baby was nearly two years old. And while she was babysitting, her friend comes over. So Dan Meredith, her friend, comes over. And at the same time, like, even she was going to send her own son over to her friend's house. Okay. Right? So her friend was awaiting uh, Jason's arrival, but he didn't come. So her friend was like, okay. So she turned to her daughter and she was like, can you please go and check on Jason? Like, why is he not here? So the daughter, she like, she goes over to the house and when she arrives at the home she sees some movement from the inside of the front window but when she goes to um like get the door like goes to find if anyone's home no one answers the door Mm -hmm. so eventually Evelyn's neighbors got worried because there's there's no way to contact her Okay. Okay. So they grew worried and they went to check on her and this is what they would find. Okay. So Dan Meredith, the friend, was found in the hallway, bathed in his own blood. Mm. Richard had shot him in the head. Okay. Then Evelyn was found naked on her bed, her legs splayed open. And uh, yeah, okay. So I didn't mention this before, but Teresa, the way her body was displayed was also with her legs open. So when officers went in first, they thought that some assault had happened, like a sexual assault, but mm-hmm. nothing, like Richard didn't do that to her. Okay. Okay. But Evelyn was found with her legs spread open and she also, like Teresa, had a gunshot wound to her head and her is and her intestines had been pulled out. Okay. Um, there was also a bathtub that was filled with bloody water. And this is because Richard had found Evelyn when she had been in the bath. And then he had dragged her out to the bed where he sodomized her. Okay. Yeah. Richard also stabbed her through the anus into her uterus at least six times. <laughs> oh, that's just like uncomfortably nodding. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he also tried to slice her neck and cut out an eye. So he had used a container to collect her blood and consume it. I think he used like a yogurt container because they found um sort of like ring rings of blood around the body. So, okay. You know, it's like how, for example, you put like a cup of coffee and then like coffee drips at the bottom. You lift it up, you can see the rim of coffee. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's the same thing, but with blood. Yeah, so he used like a container, yoga container to essentially collect her blood and then drink it. Mm. And then on the other side of the bed lay the body of Evelyn's son, Jason. He mm. had been shot twice in the head. So this is where I was like, Honda, what did I ask you to do just now? Remind you of something. Oh yeah, okay. So when I was reading this, right, I was like, okay, because in Mind Hunter, do you remember there was this one case of the there's this mother and son who had been murdered 
Like the mother who would sweep the stairs of the church. Uh-huh. And she had been like sodomized, I think, and like brutally murdered along with her son. So I was reading this and I was like, oh, okay. It seems quite similar to that. Mm-hmm. Because the cases in Mindhunter, like the ones they investigate, right, are made up. Like they're based off on true crime, but they're not actual things that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was like, wow, this one seems very familiar. Anyway, I'll be alone by myself, geeking out and, you know, drawing the links. But moving on. Oh, that, that was what you wanted to say. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say. I feel like I hyped it up for no reason. I hyped myself up for no reason, sorry. Eventually, Evelyn's sister-in-law would come to the scene, hoping to find her son, the baby, who Evelyn had been looking after. The police would find the baby's pillow, but it had a bullet hole in it. So the crib was also entirely covered in blood. Oh, no. Richard had... Okay, brace yourself on them. Okay. <laughs> so Richard had shot the baby and had, and had opened up his head in the bathroom and spilled bits of his brain into the tub. Why? I know. But um, Richard had been interrupted by something. Some articles say that he was interrupted by knocking on the door and had fled with the baby's body. Oh. Mm. Richard had... My God, this case is so hard. Richard had gone home where he had severed the baby's head, removed some of his organs, and then ate it. (sighs) This time, however, Richard had left footprints behind. So he'd stepped into the blood and therefore left a train of bloody footprints that would help the police. So he left literally like so much evidence behind. Mm -hmm. The police also found an eyewitness, an 11-year-old girl who told them that she had seen a man who was in his early 20s in the neighbourhood. Eventually... Richard Chase was arrested with the help of a high school schoolmate. Um, Her name is Nancy Holden. So she'd been shopping at a nearby shopping center when a disheveled, thin man approached her. So she was like, holy shit, who is this creepy (laughs) dude? And tried to get away from him. But then he asked her, were you on the motorcycle when Kurt was killed? So Nancy was like, okay, hold up. Because she'd once dated a boy named Kurt. Wow, my typo. Don't know. <laughs> my typo is... Um, she'd once dated a boy naked Kurt. <laughs> naked Kurt. Naked Kurt. Okay, anyway, so Nancy had dated a guy named Kurt. And Kurt, interestingly, had been killed in a motorcycle accident. So Nancy was like, okay, how... How the how does this guy know this information? And that's when she recognized him. It was Richard Chase. So in high school, they used to call him Rick Chase. So she was like, oh my God, it's Rick Chase. Mm. And at this point, she was like, okay, nice, nice seeing you, Rick. And she tried to ditch him, but he followed her into the parking lot. Mm. So Nancy, growing more and more anxious, got into her car, literally 
uh, pulled up the windows and sped off. And then later she would see a police sketch and she would go to them and be like, hey, I know this guy. This is Richard Chase and I went to high school with him. The police's second clue was the .22 caliber bullet, um, which they were able to trace back to Richard, who had bought it in December of 1977 and then had bought ammunition on January 10th. Mm-hmm. So police would eventually go to Richard Chase's home to arrest him. After knocking several times on the door, um, no one answered. So they were like, okay, let's pretend to leave. Mm-hmm. So they pretended to leave and only then Richard came out and he was holding a box in his hand. So he was apprehended shortly after Like the profile created, his house was a mess. There was blood everywhere. So there was blood in food, in glasses, literally everywhere. They found pieces of bone and body parts in his fridge. There was even a container filled with brain tissue. They also found a calendar with the word today scribbled on the day of Teresa and Evelyn's murders. And... Scarily, he had also written today on 44 other dates. Oh, no. So, the police scoured the apartment, finding blood everywhere and evidence everywhere, but they could not find the baby. And even with the aid of bloodhounds, they were unable to locate him. It wasn't until much later on March 24th, did a church janitor stumble upon the baby's remains in a cardboard box. Uh-huh. So the baby's remains were somewhat mummified and I believe the head was placed below the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Richard's trial started on January 2nd, 1979. So Richard claimed that he did not remember most of the murders but he remembered that he had shot and decapitated the baby. He also claimed that he left the baby in a bucket to collect more blood. He apologized for the murders and then claimed that it was due to his inability to have sex as a teenager. What a reason. Yeah. So anyone out there who is unable to have sex, Please don't become serial killers in the future. (laughs) Thank you. His side of the defense obviously claimed insanity, but the prosecutor mentioned that he had brought rubber gloves to his victim's house. Uh, Yeah. Premeditation. Premeditation. There was, there is somewhat of an element of premeditation. Also, like, for example, the whole thing about Entering the houses if the doors are unlocked. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you have to go to the houses to check on it in order to know if it's locked or not. So there is an element of premeditation to it as well. Um, At the trial, there were 250 prosecution exhibit, exhibits that were brought out. <laughs> Along with that, uh, David Wallin, Teresa Wallin's husband, um, he testified alongside a hundred other witnesses. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because during this time, actually a lot of people saw Richard Chase, but 
they didn't know what he was up to. They just knew that there was this really scrawny, sunken-looking, <laughs> disheveled man in their neighborhood. So that's what made him suspicious. Mm-hmm. It was, but it wasn't really because they saw him do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On May 8th, after five hours of deliberation, the jury found him guilty of six counts of murder of the first degree. They rejected that he was not guilty by insanity and sentenced him to die by gas chamber in the San Quentin Penitentiary. So, Robert Ressler, aka Bill Tench, aka the best character in Mindhunter, visited Richard Chase while he was researching killers for the Behavioral Um. Science Unit. So this is where he learned that Richard Chase had believed that his blood was turning into powder and therefore he needed to consume blood of other creatures in order to replenish it. He told the agents that he had killed in order for him to keep on living. Hmm. Then he mentioned something called the soap dish poisoning to which wrestler was like, what? (laughs) What is that? So soap dish poisoning, according to Richard Chase, um, was essentially everyone has a soap dish. Okay? If you lifted the dish and it's dry underneath, you're good. But if you lift up the dish and it's gooey, then you've been poisoned and your blood is going to turn into powder. Okay. So the powder will weaken your body and then eventually eat your body. Uh-huh. He also told Wrestler that he was Jewish, which he was not. <laughs> and, so random. Okay, this part is really random. Okay, so he told Wrestler that he was Jewish and then he told him that he'd been tortured by the Nazis because <laughs> he had a star of David on his forehead. Which he did not have. Okay. He said that the Nazis were connected to UFOs. <laughs> then the UFOs commanded him telepathically to murder and consume blood to replenish his own. What? <laughs> so he claimed, so he basically told the FBI please put a radar on me because if you put a radar on me, you'll be able to track the UFOs. And then during this meeting, he, like, shoved a cup filled with, like, mac and cheese at Wrestler, who looked at it and he was like, what is this? <laughs> it's a cup of mac and cheese. And then uh, Richard Chase was like, please test this. It's poison. Like, test it for poison. Poor Wrestler, though. He was just like, I'm here to do research. And now this guy wants me to test mac and cheese. I want to see his face <laughs> during the interview. <laughs> it was just like, eh. um, okay. So this part is actually kind of sad. Um, so Richard Chase actually told Wrestler that other inmates had actually kept asking him to kill himself. So they kept taunting him to kill himself, and Wrestler as well as like the prison health officials actually they very very strongly felt that. Richard Chase should not have been in prison. He should have been in a psychiatric facility. But even when he was sent to a psychiatric facility, he was eventually brought back to the San Quentin Penitentiary. Okay. 
And then on December 26, 1980, Richard Chase was found in his bunk unmoving. So when the prison guard went into his cell to see if he was responsive, he found that Richard Chase was no longer alive. Mm. So every day, Richard Chase would receive three pills in a packet. So that was his dose of medication. Mm. And what he did was he didn't take it. He began to hoard it. So he collected Uh. all the medication. And then eventually he consumed all of them. So he... um, Yeah. He already, he took his own life. And um, the thing is, you know, after going through this entire case, like... I know one part of it is like, wow, look at all these horrific things he did. But the other part of it is, wow, this man was severely mentally ill. Mm. And he should have been kept at a facility, but all the times he could have been, he was like sent back. Yeah. Yeah. Like the hypochondria was just like the first symptoms. And the thing is like, on one hand, it's really, really sad and frustrating because people treated him like a freak. Like, they would... Mm-hmm. I mean, his behaviors were odd, were odd and everything, but it was because he genuinely needed help. Yeah. And then it just spiraled into, like, these paranoid delusions and everything. Mm-hmm. And then he ended up taking his own life. I mean, it's ever going to undo what he did to his week. To his victims but I think it's a very important lesson on like understanding how badly mental illness can affect a person and why it's so necessary to give get them the help that they need mm-hmm. yeah so th- this is the story of Richard Chase <laughs> yes. you know when I said like this reminded me of something there was this like one criminal minds case where like this woman was so paranoid that she was sick mm-hmm. and she could see something crawling in her skin. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I think it's like the same kind of Yes, like yes, hypochondria. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, she would literally like, it, it, she was it crawling. She will like stop it from moving. Yes. And then she will like suck out some, some pus or whatever from it to like test it. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's an actual it's an actual thing it's mm, just definitely I've seen a lot of like medical shows where they often have like these hypochondriac sort of patients come in um you know you know there's there's this one I can't remember what it's called but it's when the person views their limbs or their body parts as not a part of them uh, yeah 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 and like all these things really, you know, these people really need psychiatric intervention and help. Mm-hmm. And I guess because this is like the 70s, 80s, like, you know, it's just not very well known and not well widely accepted. Nah. So Richard Chase really went under the radar. Yeah, but on one hand, it's like, there's also a level of premeditation to it. But mm-hmm. yeah, th- this case really conflicted me because ultimately, 
I mean, if you believe that it was he did this because of his mental illness, like it is really very sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even when he was sentenced to prison, it's like he was just sent to prison and then given medication. That's mm-hmm. it. Like you cannot solve everything with just medicines. And also the other inmates treated him like he was a freak and they constantly like taunted him and asked him to kill himself. Like it's just man. I mean, prisons there they establish a hierarchy. Yeah. I mean prisons everywhere establish a hierarchy. But it's just it's just man, it's just so sad. Yeah, he shouldn't be in a prison. Yeah, he should have been in a facility that could have helped him. But yeah, I don't think I mean they don't really fund these places or like mm. people who are guilty because they don't think, you know, it's like a worthwhile thing to be having, like to to invest in. Mm, yeah. Because they are viewed as like bad people in society. Yeah. I mean, even until today, it's like I feel like it's just much easier to write people off as just bad and insane instead of like looking at it and being like, hey, there is a mental illness here. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not me trying to say that, hey, um, he shouldn't be held accountable because he had a mental illness. I mean, that's not that's not what I'm saying at all. Even if you have a mental illness, you should be still held accountable for what you mm-hmm. for your own actions, right? But it's just at what point is it just so uncontrollable? I think at the end of the day, we just think that uh, he needed help and he didn't get any help like all his life. I mean, yeah. I think we have to like rethink the way we punish people. Yeah, know? we definitely... Very, I mean, we've, we've had so are many conversations. Yes, we've had so many conversations about the prison system and why it freaking sucks. And why it has to be reformed. And then on the flip side now, people think that um, by pleading insanity, they can get like a lighter sentence and get away with it. But if you plead insanity and the judge is like, okay, yes, you go to a psychiatric facility, it's going to be so difficult. Mm-hmm. It's really like mental torture. Yeah, so... Yeah, this is the case of Richard Chase. <laughs> you look so pleased with yourself. Uh, I... I really enjoyed doing up the notes. I mean, researching this case and writing the notes for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting yeah. case. Yeah, and because when I was doing up the the research for this, like I didn't know about the FBI, FBI, the <laughs> BSU's um, involvement in the case until I came across the until I came across talk murder murder with me dot mm-hmm. com they had like this whole section about um wrestler and his involvement in this case and like it's pretty cool so for people who don't watch Mindhunter uh Robert Wrestler was the person who came up with the term serial killer mm-hmm. yeah so it is it's so interesting because at this point in time the they were still researching these killers and still yeah. coming up like profiling was relatively new and whatnot, but it was such an important tool and such a helpful tool as well. I wonder if this case will be referenced in like season three. Maybe, maybe. 
I mean, I, I came across this thing where somebody said um, they wonder if Richard Chase would be the Ed Kemper to Bill Tench, the way Ed Kemper was to Holden. Mm. Yeah, like the that one killer that they get very involved in and can somewhat undo them. <laughs> that Ed Kemper like scenes was so creepy. It was so good. So good. I mean, I didn't like the show, but it was so good. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and click that follow button on Spotify. You can also listen to us on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon, and whatever podcast platform you listen to. And you can follow us on Instagram at HGU Podcasts. Share us a message or send us a story if you'd like. You can also email us at hiddenamongustree at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.